And all God's people said, well, if you have a copy of God's Word, and I hope you do, I'm going to invite you to open up to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, and uh, we're going to be in Romans this morning, and then we are going to the Old Testament, going old school, and we will be in Judges chapter 6, looking at the life of Gideon, looking at the life of Gideon. But this morning, in the words of Warren Wiersbe, the Christian life is not a playground, it is a battleground, and we must be on guard at all times. Let me say that again. The Christian life is not a playground, it is a battleground, and we must be on guard at all times. Levi Lusco goes on and says it this way, the Christian life is a war of fighting to live in the spirit and not in the flesh. The Christian life is a war of fighting to live in the spirit and not in the flesh. I've had people say to me, you know, Fish, you quote a lot of people. Well, let me share with you the reason I quote people, okay? If somebody has figured out a way to say it, and it's a pretty good way of saying it, why am I going to try to package it differently and say it differently, okay? So Warren Wiersbe is my boy, all right? He's one of my biggest commentaries that I run to. Levi Lusco is a pastor out in uh, the, the Seattle, Washington, out there on the West Coast area. And uh, Levi, is uh, he's a skinny jean wearing preacher, okay? Don't ever have to worry about me doing that because I'm not skinny, okay? But he can get away with it. And I just love how he says things. This morning... We are wrapping up our time together of this idea of our identity and then the power to overcome the battle of our identity. So last month in September, after we finished up the book of Exodus, uh, we dove in a little bit of this idea of looking at our identity, and then it kind of overflowed into um, the power to overcome the battle of our identity. So this morning, we are going to be looking at this idea of unmasking ourselves, like taking the mask off and really understanding who we are in Christ. So just a order for quick review. When we looked at identity, we looked at the reality that identity is, is that we are created. Okay. So God created us. So our identity is in the fact that there's a creator. Okay. Then we looked at the fact um, that our identity is based on what God's word says about who we are, not who everybody else says about who we are. The third thing that we looked at in our identity was, is the fact that Jesus is our identity. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. So our identity is in our creation. Our identity is in the Word of God. Our identity is in the saving power of Jesus. And then our identity is in the fact that there is a Holy Spirit living inside of us that has empowered us to be men and women and followers of Jesus to be who God's called us to be. So that's our identity. So then we uh, got into this idea of how do we overcome that battle of identity? Because I don't know if you know this, uh, but in every single one of us, there is a war going on in our life. There is a fight going on in our life for our identity. And so the first thing we looked at was the armor of God. And remember, we talked about the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and the, the shoes for the gospel and the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit. And the reason we talked about that is, is because God has given us tools to fight this battle. And guess what? In fighting that battle, the greatest tool in our arsenal is prayer. And so two weeks ago, or last week, we began praying. Two weeks ago, we began praying for individuals in our life that did not know Christ. We began to pray, God, would you bring these people to Christ? Would you make them aware of who you are? And some of us now are on week three praying for those people. But I am convinced that this morning that some of us feel like that our prayers are going up to the ceiling tiles and they're bouncing back down is as if God is not hearing our prayers. 
And I said this toward the end of last service, but I want to say it toward the beginning of this service, that here's why I feel like that happens. As we looked at the Lord's Prayer last week, there was a line in the Lord's Prayer when Jesus' disciples said to him, teach us how to pray, Lord, like John taught his disciples to pray. And Jesus simply said this, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us, here's where I'm going with it, forgive us our trespasses as we also forgive those who trespass against us. Can I just be real with you this morning, church? Some of us are not experiencing forgiveness because we're not willing to extend forgiveness. Some of us don't feel like our prayers are making it to the throne room of God. They're only bouncing off the ceiling tiles, bouncing off the rafters of our home, and they're bouncing back down to us because we want forgiveness, but we're not willing to give forgiveness. So I want to read two quotes to you again that I just read a minute ago because I think these quotes are pretty good, and I think these guys are pretty solid dudes that love Jesus, and that's not open for opinion right now. You're more than welcome to talk to me about it afterwards. But in the words of Warren Wiersbe, The Christian life is not a playground, it's a battleground. And we must be on our guard at all times. Anybody tracking with that? Feel like you're in a battle? If you're not, just wait. You'll be in one soon enough, trust me. And then Levi Lusco says it this way, the Christian life is a war of fighting to live in the spirit and not in the flesh. Let me tell you how I know that to be true. Romans 7, beginning in verse 14, says this. First of all, forgive me that I am pulling this out of the middle of Romans chapter 7. However, we don't have time, but let me just tell you where Roman, what Romans 7 is about. Romans 7 is in between Romans 6, which talks about dead to sin and alive in God, and then Romans 8 is this beautiful chapter about life in the Spirit, and it, and it closes out our time together in Romans 8, which pretty much says this, knowing all things that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So I don't know if you know this or not, but there is a theme this morning that I want you to see that God wants us to know that he loves us. He loves us. He died for us. And so therefore, because he loves us and he died for us, he wants to know that our identity is in him and not in our sin. But there is something that is going on in our life, and I like to call it a battleground or a war, and I want us to pick up in Romans seven fourteen, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh and sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. If that's not a tongue twister, but if it doesn't sound familiar, it should because every one of us have an internal struggle going on within each one of us. And the struggle is this. I know what I'm supposed to do. And I know what I'm not supposed to do. 
but I don't know how to do it because I'm wearing a mask of insecurity. I don't know if you know this or not, but in the church for so long, we've taught this model. Hey, man, don't let people see you sweat. Hey, hey, don't let people know that you struggle. Don't let, no, let, don't, don't, don't let people know that you have issues. True story, this person happens to be in this service. They were not in the last service, so um, I'm not calling you out by name, so if you'll do me a favor and not wave and say, hey, he's talking about me, it'll make it just so much easier. Uh, and by the way, I didn't even look towards that person, so you have no idea who I'm talking to because some of you met with me this week, and I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about this person. But they came in my office, and they sat down and said, hey, man, I just need to talk to you. And I'm like, sure. And so real quick, I got real transparent. Have you ever seen a deer cross the road and stop, and when he turns and sees that you're coming with your headlights, it's kind of like deers in the head, deer in the headlights? You know what I'm saying? Like his eye, their eyes get real big. And by the way, it's that time of year, okay? They're not trying to play frogger with you, okay? All they're trying to do is get from one field to the other. They're just trying to get from one place to the other. But you know what I'm saying? They get caught in the headlights and they're like, this person looked at me like I had lost my mind. Because bless this person's heart, they had grown up in a legalistic understanding of Christ, okay? And they had grown up in a religion and not a relationship-based faith. And so when I begin to share all my junk with this person, it's like, uh, uh, um, um, why are you telling me all this? Because it's not just something that I say from the podium. I want you to know that I am literally a beggar who has found a piece of bread, and I'm trying to help other beggars find that same piece of bread. Because I know me. Ask my wife if I have an anger problem. Ask my kids if I have an anger problem. Sharp, she's running the slides in the back. Sharp just leaned over. Hey, Miss Beth, you got an anger problem? I love it when you come to church, son. You just so respond. I, I feed off of that. Thank you. Sorry, the rest of y'all are here. It's cool. Sharp and I are having a conversation. Thanks, Sharp. But my wife will tell you that I got an anger problem. My kids will tell you that I got an anger problem. I don't know if you know this or not. I got an opinion about everything. If you don't think so, just ask me. One of my good friends tweeted something last night. I didn't think that he was necessarily correct, so I responded back to him. And then he mic dropped on me, and so I had to quit talking. The point I'm making is, though, is that every single one of us have sin in our life. And it'll mess us up if we're not real about it. True story, I was sitting at a conference one day, and a pastor uh, who had fallen into sin was speaking about how not, fallen, how not to fall into sin. He was at a big conference, and he was telling about being at an even bigger conference than we were at. And he said he got on the elevator to go back up to his room. It was one of those hotel-slash-conference uh, facilities. And he got on the elevator, and as he gets on the elevator, he is surrounded by other pastors on that elevator, and they just all start going and mumbling and that kind of thing. And he just must, he must have been at a very high floor, but he said, Hey, guys, do you all think I just woke up one day and said, Man, I want to struggle with that sin? Because I'm going to be honest with you, if I was going to struggle with a sin, I would have picked a much easier sin with me, for me to struggle with because I would have picked a sin that I could have just walked away from. So before you think you got it all figured out, preacher boys, and this pastor is from, uh, from Texas, and I don't know if you know the saying of Texas, you don't mess with Texas, and so this pastor must have had a lot of confidence in his ability. But he said, preacher boys, before you think that you're okay, you might ought to look in the mirror and ask yourself, are you wearing a mask, or is there sin in your life that you're dealing with? And last night, as I'm 
having a conversation. Maybe it wasn't even a conversation. Maybe just the name Kanye West came up or maybe uh, Easy's came up or something like that happened. And I'm thinking about Kanye West giving his life to Christ and I'm thinking about that conversation. I must have butchered the name of those shoes because my kid is laughing at me on the second row. But just so you know, I'm a poor preacher and I don't have any of them, so it doesn't matter if I can pronounce it or not, okay? And if you're thinking about getting me something cool, I don't want a pair of tennis shoes, okay? I'd rather go eat with you, just saying. (laughs) But as I'm having that conversation, I'm just like so many of you. I started questioning, man, is it for real? And man... I woke up two or three times in the middle of the night and I thought to myself how that might have impacted my boys. And then I woke up this morning and it was heavy on my heart because I'm like, who am I to question anybody's salvation? If God saved me, he can save anybody. And I know some of you are going, oh, fish, whatever. I'm telling you, church, if you really knew who I was, you wouldn't be listening to me right now. I got a bunch of y'all fooled. Matter of fact, I got a a whole bunch of y'all fooled. Because I'm like Paul, I am struggling with the fact that I know if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that is good, so it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. And so I'm just like so many in this room. It's the sin. The sin made me do it. The sin made me do it. Can I share something with you? We choose every single day to either live free or to live enslaved. I'm not saying that you're not going to struggle with sin every day because you are. But I'm saying this this morning. We have to choose to be crucified to ourselves and crucify our life daily and live by faith in the Son of God who loved us or choose to live as slaves to sin. It's a choice. But there's a war going on inside of us. As I said earlier about Romans chapter 7, it's a tongue twister. And we struggle with this internal struggle of this, what Paul is stating in Romans chapter 7. But instead of doing something about it, we just say, well, it's just who I am and I can't do anything about it. The problem isn't that we struggle with these things. The problem is, is when we refuse to acknowledge them. When we decide it's easier to go quietly into the night instead of putting up a fight, says let's go. I do not believe any of us in this room, church, this morning, desire not to have victory in our lives over these sin issues. But are we willing to put in the work to do something about it? This morning, we're going to dive into this idea. If we want to truly have power over our identity or power in our identity, we must come out from behind the mask. This week, many of us will celebrate what many call a pagan holiday, Halloween. It's a time where people love to dress and act as if they are someone else. Okay, now, I told you I had a life before Christ. My wife said I could not share this whole story because my dad is just my dad. But my dad used to dress up as a character. I'm not going to tell you about the character. But he would sit on the front porch and he would act as if he was like, you know, how people put mannequins and different things on the porch to try to scare people. But it wasn't a mannequin. It was actually my father. Okay, And he loved doing it because kids would come up to the front porch of our house on University Street there in Cleveland and they would walk up to the, the, to the front porch and they saw the lights on because my mom was a decorating freak, okay? All right? she did, if she did something, she did it with everything she had, all right? Pumpkins, 
bats, you know, spider webs, all that kind of stuff. And my dad is sitting in the rocking chair, and he's rocking back and forth. And they think it's like a fake thing. And so you hear these kids going, it's not real. Man, if it ain't real, you touch it. No, man, you touch it. And they would go up and touch my dad. And as soon as they would touch my dad, my dad would then react. And the kids would run off. I'm like, I remember I finally got to an age and I asked my dad. I said, Dad, do you get a joy out of scaring people? He goes, no, I just like them Reese's that your mama gets. And if they run off, that means I get more of them. Not a bad idea. But this week, for us that aren't too legalistic, and I'm not, hey, I, I don't run your house, okay? So if you, don't, if you don't do Halloween and you don't go knock, knock on the door and that kind of thing, just do it in love. Don't put the note out in front of your house that says, we don't celebrate this pagan holiday, you bunch of sinners, you're all going to hell. I'm not saying it's not true, but can we say it a little differently? I don't know if you know this or not, but this is one of those weeks that we have an opportunity as neighbors. And oh, by the way, we don't have any trick-or-treaters at 174 County Road 294 because if you come all the way out there for a piece of candy, you crazy. (laughs) We got neighbors around us, but I mean, they all up in the sticks. Ain't nobody going up to that door. And most of them have dogs. You guys that live in neighborhoods, what an amazing opportunity to minister to the people around you. What an amazing opportunity to get to know the people in your community. And if you don't do it, Wednesday night, we got a thing called Fall Festival. We'll be throwing candy out of trunks, okay, to your kids. And we'll get them all jacked up on sugar, send them home with you, and then you can send them to school that next day, and then you'll get a progress report. I get it. I'm with you. But the thing about Halloween is, is that we love to wear masks. We love to wear Dress up and act like we're someone else. Some want to be superheroes like Superman or Batman or Spider-Man or even Wonder Woman. Some will dress up like cops and firefighters and EMTs and nurses and even doctors. And however, some will dress up like the villain or even ghosts and goblins. But the truth is the same behind every costume. There's a real person. You know why we want to dress up and be heroes? Because we want to be the saving character in the story. Now, some of us got some darkness in us, and we like being the villain and all that kind of stuff, and that's okay. I guess that's okay. But at the end of the day, behind that costume is a real person. Behind your mask is a real person. And you see, any of us can put on masks and say we're something that we're not. Lesko says that Halloween is not the only day people wear masks. Maybe on the outside, but every one of us wear masks on the inside all year long. At the root of the matter, the reason we wear masks is that we feel insecure and we buy into the lie that we aren't good enough. So instead of dealing with the lie, we wear a mask as a defense mechanism to cover up our insecurities. But let me tell you this, living out of your insecurities in the secret is a secret to a miserable life. I tell people all the time, you want to be forgiven Give it to Jesus. If you want to be released, find somebody to be accountable to you in your life and share your junk with them. So I go back to that counseling session I had this week or that conversation I had this week, and I begin to share the junk of my life, the stuff of my life, and the eyes got real big because it was almost like I opened up a door. If he's willing to share his junk, then I should be willing to share mine. 
We carry it together. But insecurities are real, are they not? Let's look at the life of Gideon. It's his journey from miserable insecurity to vulnerability and finally power. Turn to Judges chapter 6 with me this morning. Judges chapter 6. For some of you that just look down at your phone or your iWatch or whatever else that tells time for you, you just realize that Judges chapter 6 has 40 verses and some of you come often and so you'd know that we teach chapter by chapter and verse by verse on most Sundays. Just don't freak out. We're not looking at all 40 verses, okay? But what I want us to see this morning is, is that Gideon is a pretty unusual character. And the reason he's an unusual character is because usually in most movies and most stories, it's hard for us to identify with the character. But as we look at the story of Judges chapter 6 this morning, Gideon is an easy character to identify with because of his insecurities, because of his vulnerability, and finally we're going to see his power. So the story of Gideon comes from the book of Judges at a time when people called the Midianites had taken control over the Israelites, God's people. If you didn't know that the Israelites were God's people, please don't tell me that, okay? Because we just finished up a year-long series in the book of Exodus. And if we learned anything, we ought to know that the Israelites belong to God, okay? But the Midianites are wearing their tail out right now. And the Israelites are super stressed out, as you can imagine, because they did something that they hadn't done even in their days of prosperity. They cried out to God. In response, God raises up what the Bible calls a judge, and the judge's name happens to be a guy named Gideon, who's 90 pounds soaking wet, was the deliverer God chose for his people. And what he's doing when he got called, he's threshing wheat in the wine press, okay? So pick up with me in verse 11 in, in Judges chapter 6. Now an angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Oprah, which belonged to Joseph, the Abizite, or a hard word, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide from the Midianites. So he's threshing wheat in the winepress, and perhaps you don't live on a farm, so let me explain threshing wheat is an activity where you take a pitchfork, you get a scoop of harvest wheat, you throw it up in the air, and you always do it when it's, uh, when it's windy, and you find a windy place so that the wind could come through and separate the chaff from the wheat. The chaff would be carried away and discarded because the kernel of wheat is heavier. It would fall to the ground and you could collect it and have it to eat. The problem is, go back to verse 11. Now an angel of the Lord came and sat under this tree, sat under this, uh, at this wine press, which belonged to Josie, and the Asberite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press to hide from the Midianites. Okay? So Gideon is doing this Threshing of the wheat inside. Anybody see a problem with that? There is no wind. So he's taking a scoop of wheat, he's throwing it up the air, and nothing's separating, because I don't know if you know this or not, the only way you can truly do what God's called you to do is you got to do it the right way. And there is a right way of threshing wheat, of doing this. And here's what happens. Do you see any problems with the plan? Why didn't he go out to the hill where, there would be, where they would normally do it, outdoors? The text was clear. Look at verse 11 again. It says, Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it, to hide it from the Midianites. 
The reason was fear. It is in this cowardly moment that the angel of the Lord, verse 11, Bible code word for Jesus, by the way, shows up and greets Gideon as a mighty man of valor, the ESV says. I think it's the NIV that says a mighty warrior. Look at verse 12. An angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. I don't know if you know this or not, but too often in our lives we don't see the usual characters when God shows up and shows out. What I mean by that is, is that it's usually not the runt that's the hero. It's usually not the weakest that's the strongest. As I was studying this this week, I thought about the fact that, man, I was Gideon. Like, I'm the kid that lived in our neighborhood. Like, I was always the one that got chose last, okay? You didn't have to worry about being chose last. It was all good. Fish was going to be chosen last, okay? And I lived in a different time, so please don't take offense to this. Um, But there wasn't a whole lot of girls that played ball with us in our neighborhood, but there was a few. They even got picked before I did, okay? And I don't know if you know this or not, growing up in the 80s and a girl getting picked before you got picked to play on the football team was not cool, okay? It might be cool now, but back then it wasn't cool, all right? I'm just saying. So I can remember that happening. I'll never forget, Adam was playing flag football, and he was on a team. I think Caleb was on the same team, and we played this team that the little Freeman girl was on, Rob Freeman's daughter. She's not little anymore. She's kind of a tall girl, and she's pretty daggum fast. And so by the time the game was over, she scored three offensive touchdowns. But before the game, they said, that girl ain't going to beat us. Three touchdowns on offense, all right? Some of you heard me tell this story before. It gets better. She intercepts the ball, runs all the way down to almost the one or two-yard line. Her dad, who happens to be an NFL referee, at that time, he was an SEC referee, runs down, stops her, does not touch her, and tells her that she's running the wrong way and that she's about to score for us. We would have really liked that because if she would have scored, we would have actually scored instead of there being a big zero. But no, little Miss Freeman turns around and runs the opposite direction, juking boys, throwing the hands. I'm talking about runs the whole length of the field and just trots in, drops the ball, and that was her fourth touchdown of the day. Most unlikely character of the story to be the hero, but that girl singly handedly whooped our tail. So last year we're playing basketball, and there was a girl on the team, and somebody said something about the girl, and I don't remember which kid it was, but one of them said, Hey, let me tell you something. We've been there, done that. You probably don't need to say nothing about that girl, okay? The point that I'm making is, is Gideon is not the character that we expect to be the hero. And listen to me, I'm not saying a woman cannot be a hero. That's why there's a wonder woman, okay? Quit freaking out. It's okay. But here's what I want you to see. Gideon is not the usual suspect. You know why? Because if God uses Gideon, then Gideon doesn't get the credit. God does. says an angel of the lord appeared to him look at what it says oh mighty man of valor and gideon said to him in verse 13 please my lord if the lord is with us why then has all this happened to us and where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us saying did not the lord bring us up out of egypt but now the lord has forsaken us and did not the um, and given us into the hands of the midian And the Lord turned to him and said, Go 
in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? And here's what I want you to see. Angel of the Lord shows up, greets Gideon, mighty warrior, the opposite of how he looked and felt, you would think. That would be enough to convince them that he was one for the job, but, it's at, it, but it is at this point that Gideon, Gideon's insecurities pop up hardcore. To make a long story short, because we don't have time to look at all of Judges chapter 6 this morning, Gideon accepts the challenge, raises up an army, God planned on stacking the deck against Gideon in such a way that it would, it would be unmistakably as to who the credit should go to when he was victorious. There's a valuable lesson to be learned in Gideon's story. Lusco says, one that took place in the threshing floor, floor before the battle of the fist comes the battle of the mind. The cure for insecurity is understanding your true identity. That is to say that when you know who you are, it doesn't matter who you're not. When you know who you are, it doesn't matter who you're not. That's why God called Gideon. He was a mighty man of valor, a mighty warrior. Don't focus on what you aren't. Focus on what you are. You are loved by God. You are loved by God. You are loved by God. Hello, the good news for us in this insecure masking wearing phonies is that we are the ones who put on the mask and we can just as easily take it off and begin to walk in the power and purpose set out before us. You are loved by God. So as you come to a place today of unmasking, I'm going to ask the band to go ahead and make their way back up. Are you going to allow the insecurities of your life, your sin life that is, to get in the way? Hear me, church, to get in the way of the fact that you are loved by God? Or are you going to acknowledge that your identity is not in what everybody else says about you? Praise God, right? Because every single one of us were Kanye West at one time or another. God, you saved her? God, you saved him? God said, you better believe it. Why? Because it was God's work in your life, not your work in God's life. You are loved by God. Pray with me. Father God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the fact that you love us the way you do, that you desire a relationship with us, that you desire to walk with us. But Father, so many of us in this room are so used to putting on the mask We're so used to hiding behind the costumes of this world. God, that we don't even know what our true identity is anymore. And so, God, I'm going to ask you this morning to allow this altar to be a place where we will lay our mask. The mask of our doubt, the mask of our sin, the mask of our insecurities, the mask of all that truly separates us from who we are. And for us to realize, to quit believing the lie of who we're not and begin to believe 
the truth about who we are. God, when you choose us, we become men and women of valor. We become mighty men and women who are warriors, who are willing to fight the battle because we know that you fight for us. God, I pray this morning for the person in this room that's never put their faith and trust in Jesus. God, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. God, for the person in this room that's dealing with an addiction or a sin or a struggle in their life, God, that they would say no more and say, God, I need you to help me with this. I need you to walk with me through this. God, for the person in this room that has doubt or unbelief, God, I pray for that young person or that man or that woman today, God, that you would allow them to see that you are the angel of the Lord and that you show up at the right time to speak the right words over us. God, we are loved by God. We've been crucified with you, and it is no longer we who live, but you that live in us. And God, may we put to death today the flesh and the sin that so messes us up. And may we say yes to Jesus today. God, I pray in these moments that you have your way.